0: Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Glad you're able to be here. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here, and uh, excited to jump back into Romans. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been in Romans uh, because we took a break for uh, Christmas. And so going back to November, but this is technically week 37 of Romans. So if you're, you know, checking out Hope, checking out Christianity, whatever, and you're like, hey, it's my first time in here, uh, you've missed uh, quite a bit. But that being said, um, you can go back and listen to it. Uh, there's a lot of churches that have preached the book of Romans. Uh, we're not the first ones to ever do this, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, the nice thing is that there's a, there's a really clean break, uh, between chapter eight, the way it, the the, the Apostle Paul ends Romans chapter eight. And so, uh, you won't, it's not going to feel, um, you know, like what we I feel like we're missing a lot here. And so I will quickly do a, a recap of what, what's been going on. But again, we have these, um, uh, Bibles. These are just uh, the just the book of Romans, and then on the other side of them, it's it's purposely left blank for uh, notes. And so there's five or six copies in the back. Uh, Ben's got them. So if you'd like one, uh, wave him down. If you haven't gotten one of these, uh, again, you're going to start in the middle of the book, but that's okay. Um, it's uh, helpful just to take notes, especially as we get into this. So again, just a just a quick brief recap that's written by the Apostle Paul. Um, and he says, I I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Right? He's going to start off with saying, I'm an apostle. I'm a slave. And, and everything that I do is about worshiping Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. He's going to call himself later on in the book an apostle to the Gentiles. And so uh, that's that's what he's doing. And yet in the beginning of the book, you, you, you can listen to the language that he is uh, talking to both Jew and Gentile. He makes it very explicit. He's writing, to his kinsmen, uh, his his brothers and sisters that are also Jewish, but then he is also then writing to the church uh, and the churches, plural, that are in, in Rome, the Gentile churches that would have been in Rome. And he wants to make uh, explicitly clear what he's trying to say to each group. Um, boy. And then there is uh, this statement. We mentioned this, that this book is not written to you, okay? This is not, this book is not to you. Uh, this book was written to the Romans 2,000 years ago, the churches in Rome. However, the book is for you, uh, that we can take principles from it, uh, we can interpret it, we can understand it. And uh, God has uh, told us things that, that Paul was writing to the church in Rome to say, this is also very applicable uh, to those of you later on, uh, thousands of years later. And this is an image that we've used over and over and over really in the last seven years since we've been a church um, taken from Scott Duvall's book, Grasping God's Word, of saying, hey, we gotta we gotta grasp the text in their town first. What did it mean to the first century Roman uh, before we can gauge the width of the river of culture and language and time and situation and what covenant are they in? And and then we can cross a principalizing bridge and then we can cons- consult the biblical roadmap, uh, saying, are there any other passages that, that teach this same thing, that we're gonna do that today? Uh, and then, now, now after doing all of that work, now we can grasp the text in our town. We can't just look at a passage and then say, "What, what does that mean to me?" Um, that, that's just not how we do biblical interpretation. At least not at this church. Um, and it's and so really want to take our time to walk through this. And so, going all the way back to chapters one through three. Uh, the kind of the first chunk that we looked at is the good news, the gospel, uh, the good news of who Jesus is. And he's gonna say, I don't care if you're religious or you're irreligious. I don't care if you are Jew or a Gentile. Everybody's guilty. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs a savior. And he is the only savior. He is the only hope of the world. And so he kind of has a thesis statement in Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news of who Jesus really is. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, uh, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith." For faith, from the beginning of our faith to the end of our faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This isn't going to be about works. I can't save myself by being a good person. I can't save myself by 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 going to church and, and giving money to a good cause and doing these things that doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, it is by faith in Christ that Paul makes that explicitly clear. And then as we move then into chapters 4 through 8, how do we live then, sorry, how do we live then? Um, in chapters four through eight, then we say it's by the Spirit. It's not by works uh, that that we actually are always going to be living by the Spirit. It's not even even being a good person or a, a good Christian, quote unquote. I still have to do this. By the power of the spirit. It's not by legalism. It's not by obeying these laws, these extra biblical laws. And so Paul, uh, one of our elders here, he kind of ended up and, and kind of gave this whole comparison. And we're not going to do the whole thing, but he but he shows, hey, this is what the Bible is, what Paul says and who we are now in Christ. This is who we are not anymore, or this is who we are when we don't have uh God. And he just used anxiety as one. Uh, but that God is God is for us. God is in this with us versus without God. It all depends on me. Uh, and, I, and I've got to try to fix this and I got to work on this. And it's just not the way that uh, the Bible has taught us to live. And so We use these big fancy words. One is justification and the other one is sanctification. Justification is the idea of I'm now saved, right? We call it the gospel door, right? I go from death to life, darkness to light. I believe, I bend the knee to King Jesus. And I say, yes, he is the author and the finisher of my faith. He is the beginner and the ender of my faith. I wanna worship him and he forgives me of my sins. And we go through this gospel door. But a lot of times, and this was true of me growing up, I went through that gospel door and then that was it. I didn't care about the rest of it, how I lived. I lived by law, I lived by legalism, I was a good person. Um, But then I would take the gospel and it was for other people now. It was for outsiders, it was for non-believers. And I was trying to get them to also go through the gospel door, which is a good thing. But the gospel and what the apostle Paul is teaching us here in this passage explicitly is he's saying, this is for the church. And he's gonna that we would use the book of Romans to walk people to see who the who Jesus is and, and share the good news, the gospel. And yet the most explicit passages on what the gospel is and who Jesus is is written to the church, people who already believe it. That we need to not just go through a gospel door, but we have to walk this gospel path every day, live this over and over and over and submit to the power and beauty of the gospel that sets us free free from the law, from licentiousness, from death and from sin. That's that's all chapters four through eight. And so that is sanctification, this gospel path. And so, but now we're gonna see see a shift. And so if we've been following uh, his thoughts and his train of thought, now we're gonna get to Romans chapter nine, and specifically verses, uh, chapter nine through 11 and asking the question, did God's plan fail? Because... Right? Big picture. He's saying, wait, if the if the Gentiles are now in, if if all other ethnicities, not just Israel, are in and they're part of God's people, then did he fail? Would then 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 the redemption of Israel and people becoming an Israelite, is that that was not that, that didn't work? Did God not know that? Right. And so so that's gonna be Paul's big question in these chapters, chapters nine through eleven. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there are no other chapters in the Bible that have been written about so much other than these chapters, right? It's gotta it's got be true. I don't know if it is or not. Uh, I didn't Google it, uh, but there are uh, a lot of books. There is a ton of ink that has been uh, uh, written and typed and printed on these three chapters, that they are in a lot of people's minds very controversial, uh, and I, and I would disagree. I, I think that they're, they're they're clear. I think we can understand it. Um, or else, what's the point of this, right? I think the Apostle Paul um, does a phenomenal job of talking about the sovereignty of God and the and the and the doctrine of of grace and salvation, uh, which we're going to get into but this is very controversial. And so I don't think over the next, however many weeks we're gonna be in, in the several weeks, nine through 11, that we're gonna just solve it, right? That we're gonna figure it out, that you're gonna have, you know, in your notes, be like, oh man, this, but I want it to be clear, right? I want you to be able to understand the arguments that Paul's making, why he's making them. But one of a helpful illustration that I've heard, I don't remember if it was about these chapters in particular, but it was a illustration I heard that was very helpful. And it was the illustration of riding a bike. Um, and it's the idea that when you're, when you're, if, if you remember when you were little and you learned to ride a bike, or you know, now I've got little kids that are learning to ride the bike. Um, and what do you do, right? You you, you take them maybe to a, a slight slope um, or a flat, uh, long stretch. Why? Because they have to get momentum, right? They gotta get their speed up. They gotta get moving. And what happens a lot of times with these passages that we're going to be getting into um, is that we slow down a little too much and we focus on specific words and phrases that Paul is gonna use, and what happens? We tip over. We gotta keep the momentum going. We gotta take the entire context of all three chapters. Uh, and we're gonna do this, we're gonna zoom in, we're gonna take our time, we're gonna look at specific words and how does it all connect and, and, and manage, you know, and follow the apostles' uh, thought process. Um, but we gotta keep it moving, and we gotta, we gotta keep the whole story in mind and not just get bogged down with the details. One other thing that I want to mention um, is uh, there's a my my teaching style, my preaching style. I was just talking with with actually Zach Stelter about this not that long ago of saying, yeah, I I love to present uh, different viewpoints, right? So if you've taken my classes. Uh, on four different views of of heaven and hell, four different views um, on the millennium and the end times. And, and and I like to present all four. And I even role play, if you will. I I take on this person and I teach it as if I believe it. And I really enjoy doing that. I, I want to answer questions as if I believe believe this perspective, which is difficult sometimes because I don't believe it. Um and I, I, you know, and sometimes someone will ask a question and and then I'll always follow up. Like, did that answer your question? They're like, yeah, yeah, it did. And I'm like, shoot, <laughs> I don't want to answer that question. you like, I don't agree with what I just said. Um but that's that's teaching. Preaching from from this pulpit is a little bit different. In that I still want to present different viewpoints, but I am for sure going to let you know, hey, this is this is Hope Community Church's position. This is where we're at. I wanna convince you that I'm right, okay? Or, or else, I mean, why, I, why would I hold the position if I didn't think I was right, right? And so um, there's gonna be multiple different paths and, and, and that's why I have this image. And, and I, and I wanna be able to lead you and direct you in that way, but I wanna be able to do the other arguments justice right? I grew up in camps that were different than where I believe now. We're going to use big theological words like dispensationalism and all these crazy thoughts and all these different things that we're going to talk about. And we're going to say, okay, but what does the Bible teach in the context of all of scripture? Okay. And, and I want to give you some direction when it comes to that. So that's enough of, of that. Let's now move on. So Paul's a big point in Romans 9, and again, kind of going back to this, this point of uh, did, did God's plan fail, All right? And so looking at this passage that Israel doesn't always mean Israel, okay? That, that's a really important thing, that when you read the word Israel in your New Testament, and specifically when it comes from Paul, are we, do we, should we be thinking the nation of Israel? Okay, case in point, we didn't sing it today, but we sing it quite often. This is uh, from Psalm 130, uh, but it's a song that Luther kind of, he took Psalm 130 and rewrote it. And we sing these lyrics. We sing these lyrics quite regularly here at Hope. Just listen to them though. Though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows, our utmost need it soundeth. Our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. So Luther, when Luther writes this in the 1500s, is he thinking the nation of Israel? No, he's not. Okay. Luther knows that Israel doesn't always mean Israel, right? And Luther is using this as the remnant, as the people of God who are redeemed that's how Luther uses it. That's how we use it when we sing it. How do we know that? Well, because when Luther wrote these lyrics, Israel wasn't a nation. Go figure, right? Imagine this, when the apostle Paul is writing Romans, Israel is not a nation, okay? So we gotta be careful to put our current context, right? Our city and try to jam it into their town. Doesn't work that way. We take their town and we put it in our town, right? We gotta understand that Israel doesn't, always necessarily mean Israel. We're going to talk a lot about this in the next coming weeks. Today, we're not going to get a lot of answers when it comes to this. So just hold hold, hold on and we'll get there. So Israel doesn't always mean Israel, but sometimes it does, okay? And that's why it gets confusing for a little bit. Uh, kind of a longer quote here from Doug Moo in his commentary on Romans, he says this, Paul's selection of the term Israelites uh, to head this list is significant for, in contrast to the political, in nationally oriented oriented title jew israelite connotates the special religious position of members of the jewish people it is therefore no accident that paul in romans 9 through 11 generally abandons the word jew uh, which has uh, figured so preeminent uh, prominently in chapters 1 through 8 in favor of the term israel israelites and israel paul is no longer looking at the jews from the perspective of the Gentiles and in their relationship to the Gentiles, but from the perspective of salvation history and their relationship to God and his promises to them. The appellation Israelites then is no mere political or nationalistic designation, but a religiously significant and honorific title. And despite the refusal of most of the Israelites to accept God's gift of salvation in Christ, this title has not been revoked. Here in a nutshell is the tension that Paul seeks to resolve in these chapters, okay? So when we use this word Israel, we have to be able to put it in context, which we're gonna do every time that word comes up and we're gonna go, okay, what's he talking about? Is he talking about us? Is he talking about the church? Is he talking about all people who are are now grafted in is the language that he's gonna use? Or is he talking about Israelites? Is he talking about this people group? And so we've gotta be able to look at the context. Context is king. So that is that. Let's get into the sermon now. Okay, this week's sermon I've just called it a curse. We're going to be looking at Romans nine one through five. If you are able, I would encourage you to just stand uh, as I read this passage out loud. Uh, you don't need to read it with me out loud, but I'll read it. And if you can just follow along again, this is Romans chapter nine verses one through fifteen. I'm reading out of the ESV uh, this morning. The Apostle Paul says this: "I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying." is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, is the nation of Israel blessed by God, right? And I, We're not getting political, and I, and I talk about like timing-wise of going through Romans and what's going on. Um, what the Apostle Paul is saying here from what we just read does not mean that Israel can do no wrong, that the current nation of Israel is always right, Uh, They're always gonna be in the right side of history because they're God's chosen people. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. Uh, The Apostle Paul is not saying that they can just do whatever they want. Uh, They're also not saying, he's not saying anything about the nation of Israel. That's the whole point I'm trying to make. He's not talking about this. This didn't exist, okay? It does now, and we're gonna talk about this. Is there a future for the salvation of the Jews? We're gonna get there in chapter 11. We're not, not gonna get there today. But just remember that when we see that word Israel, we're not talking about this nation, national Israel. Okay, we got to we got to take that out. He's talking about what well, we just read—a long quote from Douglas Moo, talking about this religion, these people that are worshiping Yahweh, uh, that love him, and not not a geopolitical thing. All right, so just keep that in mind. Um, so the Israelites were uh, and are. Uh, But this is, again, when he's talking about Israel, that that, yes, this is good, these people are great, we love them, and yet it's it's not what he's talking about now, currently in our context. And so we gotta be careful that he's gonna gonna be using broad language of Israelites um, that that sometimes is the nation, sometimes not, but not the current nation that we think of when we think of Israel. Um, And so he's going to say kind of broad blanket of, of Israelites of people that worship God, not every single Israelite worships Yahweh. Even in that context, in the first century Rome, that if somebody, just because someone was ethnically Jewish didn't mean they were religiously Jewish. And that's true today. Paul's gonna make it explicit next week. Not all Israelites are Israelites. Okay? He's going to make it very clear next week. It's the same way that we would say, uh, maybe other cultures would say, all Americans are just ignorant. Right? Well, yeah, there's some truth to that. Right? Uh, but but just a blanket statement over everybody. I, I, we got to be careful. Uh, and that's the same way that Paul is going to be using that, that language. Okay? So I'm going to kind of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, Quentin Tarantino this. I'm going to start with the end. Okay, so it's zooming in on, on a dead body, right? And, and it's zooming in and it's like, how did we get here? How did the main person die? Okay, that's what we're gonna start at the end. We're gonna go backwards and then I'm gonna go back up to the top and hopefully um, uh, bring it home. And so this passage uh, here, again, uh, starting in verse four or three, excuse me, um, says, says this, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So again, context is king. So so he cannot be talking about people who believe in Christ, this remnant of people that are gonna be saved. He's not talking about that. Well, how do we know that? Because he literally says, according to the flesh. This is a physical thing, a physical Descendant again, not not the nation, right? Truman didn't didn't you know after World War II until 1948 did nation the nation of Israel become established? Okay, so not we're not talking about that, but he's talking about ethnically, which he's going to make very explicit. They are Israelites again, this religion, and to them belong the adoption. We're going to get into all of these, all of these words in just a minute. They belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, right? That's ethne from their ethnicity, according to the flesh, physically, right? Three different ways flesh, and then ethnicity or race, and then flesh again is the Christ, is the Messiah. He, he's a descendant of this ethnicity who is God overall, blessed forever. Amen. Again, Douglas Moo says this. In verses 4 and 5, Paul enumerates some of the divine privileges given to his kindred according to the flesh. This suggests that Paul's willingness to sacrifice himself for unbelieving Israel, which we'll talk about in just a minute, in verse 3, arises not only from a love for his own people, but also from the love for the trustfulness, truthfulness of God's word. Paul's concern is not just that so many of his own people seem doomed to hell. It is also that their fate seems incompatible with the many privileges and promises granted to Israel by God in the Old Testament. Thus, Paul's listing of Israel's blessings prepares the way for the question that is central to the whole section. Has God's word failed? Which we'll really look at next week. But more than this, it is also suggestion suggest, albeit, uh let's see very indirectly one of the answers to that question for the blessings paul lists relate not only to israel's glorious past that she has forever forfeited some of them at least relate to israel's present state and our pregnant and potential future uh, significance especially adoption promises and patriarchs well then paul's um inventory of Jewish privileges has as its main purpose, the explanation of his willingness to sacrifice himself for his people. It also hints at why the sacrifice will not be necessary. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Again, that's going to chapter 11 that he's going to be going forward to. And so there is still a future aspect when we look at the Israelites, but what is that? So we're going to have to really be careful when we look at this word of the Israelites. And so what are just briefly these blessings of Israel? He lists several of them, and when we get into this passage in verse 4, they are Israelites. They are people who worship Yahweh. My brother in law, randomly, like two nights ago, was like, hey, what happened to like the Jews in the first century that were like they were following after God and they were you know they 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 were worshiping Yahweh in the temple and then um, maybe they never even heard about Jesus right I mean, that's a really good question these people they were they were saved these were people who were followers of of Yahweh who believed in the promises and had faith in God and now and and so he's saying this this is a big deal they're worshiping Yahweh this is no small thing it's the same God and to them belong the adoption. And again, here, this idea of adoption, I think if, you, if you've if grown up in the church, it's okay if you haven't, but a lot of times that language is that, uh, that we've been adopted into the family of Christ, that we are now heirs with Christ. This is a little bit different in the sense that it is a national adoption, not just a personal choosing of an individual. This is, I'm gonna choose the Jews. I'm gonna choose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which then coincides then with the glory, right? This is, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's a fun word, Shekinah, Shekinah glory. How do you spell that? No clue. You can Google that later. Uh, but a Shekinah glory is like the physical manifestation of God's glory. It was this cloud that, was, that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. No other nation got to witness that. The Shekinah glory. And then when it leaves, does anyone know what it's called when it, when the gods, when it leaves? to name uh, from uh, who's the, the headless horseman um, guy? Ichabod, Ichabod means the glory of God has left. Fun fact, how do you spell it? I have no idea, uh, Google that later. Uh, okay, that's the glory, that's a, a really big deal. Okay, he's saying this, they have been, they've been chosen. This nation has been chosen, These, this people group, this religion has been chosen by God, they've been adopted. They've seen the glory that they've been given, the covenants that God goes to Abraham and says, I'm going to stake my own deity that this will happen, that you will have descendants that, numer the, that number the stars, that you are gonna be a great nation. You're gonna have this land. You're gonna inherit it. You're gonna be a great people. This is true. And if it doesn't happen, I will cease to be God. You, we have these covenants. And then he goes in with uh, with Moses and he says, I'm, I'm gonna give you then, right? The law, going on to the next point. He gives them the law. These aren't just arbitrary, made up laws. God shows up and says, this is how you are to obey me. This is how you are to be forgiven of your sins with the sacrificial system. And then he's gonna say then the worship as well. Again, not just arbitrary, I'm gonna give you very specific means and how to worship. And then finally, or not finally, but the promises, the worship and the promises that we see that they can worship specifically that God has given them all these um, uh, promises to who they are as a people. And he's saying, this is still true. This is a good thing. This is who they are. And then he says, and to them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh is the Christ. So again, at this physical aspect, Christ just means Messiah, chosen one, anointed one. Uh, Jesus Christ. Christ isn't like his last name, his surname, right? Didn't, that's not, you know, he didn't sign Jesus Christ, right? Yeshua, and he was uh, the Messiah, right? That's what Christ means, the anointed one. But then he shifts. So he goes, he's like, this is very physical. Jesus is a physical descendant of this line, which is amazing thing. But also then Jesus is God over all. Right? He goes to and he talks about his, his deity. And this, these specific verses were used in the early church to defend the deity of God here where the apostle Paul explicitly says, Jesus is God over everything, not just the Israelites, not just this, this lineage that he has, but over all, over everything of all time. And the, the word that's used there is neuter in that it is, it is generic over everything, not just a specific time or Israel, but over all things blessed. And then again, the eternality of this word forever. Amen. So Let's go back now. All right. Kind of this idea of cross my heart. I don't remember if you were a kid, right? You'd make a, you'd, you'd, you'd be talking to someone like, cross my heart, I hope to die, right? I don't know why. Why was it so violent? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why I had to do that, you know, stick a needle in my eye. Like, well, who's sticking needles in people's eyes? Can we stop uh, with the violent language here. Um, and, 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 but we would do this, right? We make a vow. I promise I'm going to do this, right? I cross my heart, hope to die, right? Like, that's, that's wow, right? I promise you on my great grandfather's grave, I don't even know the guy's name, but I swear on his grave uh, that, that I will do this thing, right? The apostle Paul is going to kind of do that. He's going to make an oath right off the bat here in Romans chapter nine. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal, right? Now he's using a literary device within uh, Jewish uh, writing and culture where he's going to use a positive and a negative to say the same thing. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, positive. I am not lying. Negative. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Right? He's swearing on Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you the truth. This this is the God honest truth. Take me seriously. What I'm about to say, next. Uh, and again, this is a big deal. Jesus talks about this about making oaths and swearing. Uh, to something in Matthew chapter 5 verse 33. Jesus says again you have heard that it was said of the old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, uh, for uh, it is the throne uh, of God or by earth, for it is the footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath with your head, for you cannot make one uh, one white hair, uh, one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil, right? Jesus saying, if you're you're gonna swear by something, you had better do it. You don't make a vow, you don't make a covenant and break it, not okay. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. This is a big deal. This goes back to the big 10. You go back to the 10 commandments and one of the, on that list is, thou shalt not bear false witness. Why? Because witnesses were a huge part of that culture, and so in Matthew sixteen eighteen, when Jesus is teaching and he says, "Where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am there with them." Right? We used to use that verse as a nice coffee cup mug or a nice coffee mug uh, verse of like, "Hey man, we're two or three gathered together." Right? We're we're here praying together in my living room, and Jesus said, "I'm I'm here with you." That's true. Um, But when I'm alone in my closet praying, Jesus is also there with me, right? So I don't need to have two or three gathered with me to pray. The whole point of Matthew 16, 18 is actually about excommunication. It's about kicking people out of the church, not about prayer. And he's saying, if there are two or three witnesses that are saying, hey, this person did this offense and they're unrepentant, right? Witnesses are a really big deal to tell the truth, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. So the apostle Paul here is saying, take me seriously here because what I'm about to say, I'm not using these words lightly. So then he's gonna use this idea that I wish I could experience hell so that they don't have to. He says this, again, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I don't know at least not until recently, how often or if I've ever really felt that way about somebody. I don't know if there's too many people in the world that I would say I would be willing to go to hell so that they could have life. I think of my kids. That's about it. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, I, I, I love you, but to have this, this passion for the lost is, is unfathomable. R.C. Sproul says this, he is willing to experience the ultimate anathema, the final act of excommunication from God himself for his brethren. He is saying, if I could suffer damnation instead of my kinsmen according to the flesh, I would do it. But of course, Paul could not make atonement for anybody. This isn't the first time that this happens. Uh, Moses does this in Exodus chapter 32. This is right uh, after the 10 plagues and they uh, Israel is set free from the oppression of the Egyptians and Moses goes up the Mount Sinai to get the 10 uh, the ten commandments. And then he comes back down and what are they doing, right? The first one, thou shalt not make any, uh, or that's not number one. That one is uh, thou shalt worship thy God. And then number two, I think, is no graven images. And what are they doing? He goes down the mountain and what are they doing? They're worshiping a graven, a, a molten uh, image of, of, a, of a calf. And Moses then says, the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. But you can't. And so Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you would forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. And the apostle Paul in the same fashion is saying, I love these people so much. I I would be willing to be accursed. I would be willing to experience hell. I would be willing to be excommunicated and condemned and kicked out of camp for the sake of my brothers and sisters. The apostle Peter puts it this way. Now speaking to the Gentile church he says, but you Gentiles are a chosen race. Very different here than what Paul's talking about. You, you, you are this ethnicity that, that has been adopted. But Paul or Peter now here, excuse me, is saying, but now everybody, all ethnicities. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous white light. Once you were not of people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have the opportunity to take mercy and light and goodness and proclaim it to those who don't know about Jesus. Um, just briefly, quickly looking over the surveys that that you guys were doing that for that family meeting, um, by far, like I mean, like not even remotely close. Number one, when you said, "I think our one of our strongest weaknesses out of these five categories that we listed," by far, number one is evangelism. Right? The Apostle Peter and Paul are saying we need to tell people about Jesus. We proclaim Him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. I shared this last week, right? It's like saying uh, uh, that, right, that that there's a phrase, right? Share the gospel and when necessary, use words. I once heard a preacher say that, that that's like saying, feed the hungry and when necessary, use food. You have to proclaim, we can live life. We can be good friends. We can, we can really get to know somebody. We can demonstrate the love of Christ for people. We can do all these things. We can show mercy and generosity and, and all these different things. But if we don't open our mouths and ask the question, so what do you think about Jesus? We're missing the mark. If we don't say, hey, I would like you to just come, come to my church. Uh, we really like each other. And I really think that you might, you might enjoy our, this church family and, and just hear about Jesus. We gotta do that. And, and listen, it starts with me. I was recently in, in uh, it was Cancun, I guess. Yeah, yay me. And uh, it was a good time. And, and I was listening to a preacher. I don't remember the guy's name, but he said, you wanna check the evangelical or the, the, the evangelism pulse of your church. He said, start with yourself, right? And so I, I know I, I've dropped the ball on that. Right? I haven't led us well in that. But here's the thing. When we hear things like that, we can approach it in one of three ways. The first way is by legalism and law. The first way is to say, okay, you know what? Here's the deal. After today, here's what I want you all to do. Get out a pen and paper. I want you to write down three names. By the end of the week, I want you to share the gospel with three people and law and live under that. And then I feel guilt and shame when I don't do it. That's law. That's not okay. The other side then is licentiousness or just it doesn't matter. Right? Well, God's gonna just do what he's gonna do anyway, so who cares, right? I don't need to do this. God, I know he really wants us to share the gospel, but I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know if I'm gonna say it the right way, fill in the blank, and then we don't do it. There's a third way. There's a gospel way that says, like Paul and like Peter, can look at our friends and our neighbors and say, I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you just to know about him. I don't want you just to observe how he's changed my life. I want you to know him. I want you to see him. I want you to be known by him. It's a difference. But what's interesting though here about the apostle Paul, excuse me, is that he doesn't just say, I wish I could experience hell so that they don't have to. He says, I wish I could experience hell so that my persecutors don't have to, right? This, these people are not Paul's best friends. These people have tried to murder him many times, many times. Gentiles don't really do it a whole lot. The one time they do, he's like, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. They're like, oh, shoot. Hey, hey, buddy, <laughs> sorry about that, right? Jews are like, no, 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 he's gotta go. Second Corinthians chapter 11 Starting in verse 23, so are they servants of Christ? Am I a better one? Am I, I'm talking like a madman. There's a whole lot going on here, but he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. That's a, a Torah, extra biblical thing. The Jews weren't allowed to uh, uh, execute capital punishment in this way, and so they would uh, they would count, you're allowed to uh, whip someone 40 times they're him with a with a, a rod or a reed 40 times and so they said hey just in case we miscount let's make it 39 so we don't accidentally break the law. okay so that's so it came so that's why it was that language like 40 lash 40 lashes less one five times this happened to him three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned the stonings are not a like i mean like it just sounds awful cuz it is awful and I don't know exactly how he was stoned, but in that culture, they would bury people up to their waist in dirt so they couldn't move or defend themselves. And people would throw stones and rocks at them. It's wild. He, that, was, that was a means of execution. And somehow it didn't take. He woke up probably pretty sore. And these are the people that he says, I would rather, I would rather experience hell than have them do that. I don't know, but one thing I need to be reminded of over and over and over is that nobody, no one, anywhere at any point in time is beyond the reach of the gospel, nobody. You weren't, you weren't beyond the reach of the gospel. You're not some intelligent individual who just finally understood enough and could reason enough to believe in Jesus the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to who he is and you go, yes, that is the King Jesus that I want to worship. Nobody anywhere at any point is beyond the reach of the gospel. Do you believe that? Because I really struggle with this. I don't believe this a lot of times. Do we believe it about your mom, about your dad? Ah, Man, there's, there's no hope for them. Do we think this, we believe this about our brothers or our sisters? Do we think this about our children? Ah, There's no way Jesus would. Do we believe this about this, the coworker that we spend a lot of time with? Do we believe this about our boss who's just wicked and evil and treats us like trash? Do I believe this to be true about my roommate? Do I believe this to be true about my childhood friend that we were so close but we went separate ways and, and every once in a while we reconnect and we talk but there's no way the gospel, there's no way this person's coming to faith. Not a chance. How about you? Do you believe it about yourself or do you think you're too far gone? There's no hope. You need to believe this that no one anywhere at any point is beyond the reach of the gospel. When you don't believe the power of the gospel, you miss out on the opportunity to see God raise dead people to life. You do, because here's the deal. Here's why. God's gonna move. God's gonna do some miracles. He's gonna raise people from the dead. But we can take part in that. We can share the good news of the gospel. We can pray for them. We can see people go from death to life. God is going to do it. He's going to see to it that his son is magnified and worshiped. And he's going to make sure that his son didn't suffer in vain. So why not take part in that glorious story of seeing people go from death to life? Because I can tell you from experience, and it pains me. I'm going to do my best to get through this. But I gave up on somebody before. I I, I was so done with this person for yeah, a decade plus prayed so often and so hard for them to the point I gave up and I literally called them and said, I'm done. I quit. I'm done having conversations with you. I'm, I'm, I Don't talk to me ever again. I'm cutting you off. I want nothing to do with you anymore. And then within months, I come to Jesus. And I missed that, right? I missed, I missed the opportunity to, to, to celebrate with this individual, to, to worship my savior with this person, right? Don't don't do that. And again, I don't want to guilt and shame you. That's not the whole point of this. The point of this is saying, hey, listen, let's just get on team Jesus. He's gonna do something, he's gonna see people saved. So let's just help. Let's just get on board. Let's get on that mission. Let's share the good news the gospel. Let's proclaim him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light, that marvelous light that we enjoy that we love so much about who Christ is. We, I know you want that for other people. You want that for believers or people that are, that are non-believers that, that, that you work with, that you're friends with. I know you want that. Share the good news of the gospel. Let's see the power of the gospel take root. And so just simply in gospel application, no one anywhere at any point is beyond the reach of the gospel, not for you, not for anybody else, All right? We can pray for them, we can love them, We can demonstrate who Jesus is in our lives and the way that we interact with him, but at some point we have to use words. And that's the whole point of sanctification, the whole point why the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, gospel, gospel, gospel. We have to continually beat the gospel into our own lives and our own selves, right? On this path, this gospel path of how we live. We need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded that it's not because of anything I did, not by works, it's by faith. It's because of what he has done. And so this person that I think is awful, that I don't know if they're ever gonna be able to come to Jesus, remember, it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the finished work of Jesus, which is why every week we take these elements, the juice that represents his, his blood, this new covenant in his blood, the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us, that he pays the penalty, he pays for our sins in ways that we were never, ever able to do. And he does it freely and it's finished work on the cross. And he says, I just need you to believe in me. And then I want you to be my disciples. I want you to go into the world and I want you to share the gospel, share with them the commandments and what I've taught you about who I am in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we do that. So maybe you need the gospel for yourself this morning. Maybe there's someone that the Holy Spirit has brought to mind that you need to share the good news with. But just remember that no one anywhere at any point is beyond the reach of the gospel, that Jesus is king, and we can see people go from death to life. We can see his kingdom expanded and we can honor God by helping as many people as possible become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And by helping as many people as possible, at some point requires words to share the good news of the gospel. We're gonna pray. Uh, and then the worship team's gonna come back up. They're gonna sing two songs. We're gonna have a time of communion. Um, and, and these elements, you don't need to be a, a member of this church or any church for that matter. This might be your first time in church, but if you hear about that Jesus, and you're like, "Yeah, that—that's the King Jesus that I want to love and I want to serve. I want to be forgiven of my sins, and I—and and I, and, freely—that He gives us that freedom for freedom, Christ has set us free. I would love for you to partake of these elements with us as we remember the finished work of Christ on the cross. Pray for boldness. Um, maybe confess fear of man, of sharing the good news of the gospel, uh, fear of breaking or losing maybe potentially a relationship, right? You're already weird. You're a, you're a weirdo, right? You, they think you're part of a cult, uh, right? So, so it, what, they already know you're crazy. So just, just share the gospel. What's the worst thing that could happen, right? They would say, yeah, you're an idiot. Uh, no, thanks. Share the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We love you, we do. I pray now for all of us that you'd give us boldness. You'd give us boldness to share the good news of that marvelous light that brings people from death to life. That you are in the miracle working business of taking dead souls and raising them to life. So God, would we be on that team? Would we be on that to, to be able to share the good news of the finished work of Jesus, that it doesn't matter if they're religious or irreligious, they need to walk by faith, period, in the finished work of your son. So God, as we partake, as we take these elements, would you be honored, would you be glorified, would you be magnified uh, that those of us who have been redeemed and saved, that we see Jesus high and lifted up and on his throne and that we would worship him because he is glorious and good and worthy of worship. And at the same time, you would bring people to mind and those individuals that we would pray for, God, I pray for the coworkers, I pray for the parents, I pray for the siblings, I pray for the children, I pray for everybody that we come in contact with that we want to, that them to know you, period. Not, not so our, our numbers of this congregation would grow. It's got nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with people being saved. And so it would be for your honor and your glory. God, we love you. And as we take these elements, would you be honored now as we remember your son. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.